Pastor Xavier Reese and a reminder of the freedom set before us. God will not judge you for another person's sins and that you cannot use them as an excuse for your sin. It comes down to choice, to human responsibility. Don't fall into the humanistic concept of this psychological battle that you're blaming everybody. Jesus has cleaned you up. Get up on your feet and start walking. Start growing. Welcome to Simple Truths, the daily half-hour study of God's Word with Xavier Reese, Senior Pastor of Calvary Chapel of Pasadena, California. When it comes to the payment for sin, there's a very important truth. God will not place on your account the sin of someone else. Now, that's the good news. But there is a flip side. He will hold you accountable for all of your own shortcomings. Well, today, Pastor Xavier goes back to his study in the book of Ezekiel. For today's Bible study, the buck stops with you. Ezekiel chapter 18. Uh, the prophet Ezekiel is uh, given a revelation from Yahweh to confront the people in view of their refusal to uh, accept personal responsibility for sin. The prophet does it in a legal fashion, like a lawyer expounding one point after another before the divine courtroom, so that when he is through, there is no basis for their bad theology. And that's what it comes down to. Ezekiel gives to us the law and principles of personal responsibility for sin here. And it unfolds for us in this way. First, the accountability of every person to God for their sin. Verse 1 through 4. The accountability of every person to God for their sin. Secondly, 5 through 20, three cases still illustrate the principle of accountability to God for sin. And then 21 through 32, the accountability of sin made void by God due to repentance from sin. Everybody has their own belief, but he's going to wipe it all out right here. In verse 1, the source of the message came to Ezekiel was heavenly, divine. The prophetic formula marks once again the authority behind the content, the word of the Lord. These are not his words, not his opinions. Many people say, well, that's your opinion. No, it isn't. It's the word of God. Notice in verse 2, the occasion for the revelation was that the people were blaming their ancestors for their sins. The proverb went as follows. The fathers have eaten sour grapes and the children's teeth are on edge. The word proverb, Michelle, means a proverbial saying with the marks of a mini parable here. The bl- they blaming their fathers of sinning in the past by the phrase, our fathers have eaten sour grapes. And then they were seeing themselves as innocent victims by the second line, and our teeth are on edge, meaning they're, 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 they're real sharp, real abrasive. You ever eat a lemon and how your teeth feel? That's what it's talking about. They were taking no personal responsibility for their own evil condition and judgment, but rather throwing it back on their parents. Today's the same thing. Nobody wants to take responsibility. It's always somebody else's fault. No, it's your fault. The same problem was being used in Jerusalem. Jeremiah gives it to us. Our father's sin and, and, and are no more, but we bear their iniquity. Jeremiah 31, 29 and Lamentations 5, 7 speaks about eating sour grapes. Same thing. Notice, secondly, he gives us three cases to illustrate the principle of accountability to God for sin. The first one is five through nine. The first generation regards the individual living for righteousness because their theology is generational sin comes to me, right? Follow. 
But if a man is just and does what is lawful and right, the reference to just is the Hebrew word tzedek, meaning righteous living, having a wide variety of activities and behavior in Scripture. The area of sexual rights of idolatry I mentioned first. If he has not eaten on the mountain, nor lifted up his eyes to the idols of the house of Israel. We've studied the idolatry effect. These are the high places. Sexual rights. The area of marital sexual honor and pure, ritual purity. Nor defile his neighbor's wife, nor approach a woman during her impurity. Because they joined themselves to these cults, they had to take their turn at being temple prostitutes, ritual prostitutes. So you were not only having sex with another woman, but with somebody else's wife in these rituals. Pretty heavy, isn't it? But isn't that today? Open marriages? Living together? Go to Vegas? What goes in Vegas stays in Vegas? Amazing. The area of social and ethical extortion and oppression comes in verse 7 and 8. The specific forms are three. But has restored to the debtor his pledge. In other words, he took a coat to hold it until he paid back the money or whatever it was. Uh, has robbed no one by violence. He has given bread to the hungry and covered the naked with clothing. Good things. If he has not extracted usury nor taken any increase, taken advantage financially, but has withdrawn his hand from iniquity and executed true judgment between man and man. So he's done good. He lives right. Righteousness. Man and man. The summary statement now of this righteous man is given in verse 9. Uh, the one who lives righteously. The condition is, if he has walked in my statutes and kept my judgments faithfully, Faithfully, he what? He is just. God's the lawgiver. The verdict? He shall surely live. He's the judge that acquits him of all charges. Why? Because there's no evidence to convict him. You understand? Now, here's where their theology breaks down. He just exposes them. Verse 10 through 13. The second generation regards the father not being accountable for his son's sins. But notice verse 10. If he begets a son who is a robber, one who murders, or a shedder of blood, one who is guilty, who does any of these things, but has eaten on the mountain or defiled his neighbor's wife. If he has oppressed the poor and uh, needy, robbed by violence, not restored the pledge, lifted up his eyes to the idol or committed abominations, if he has exacted usury or taken increase, then the summary statement comes again. Shall he then live? He shall not live. Wow. The judge says, you are guilty. Did you do this? Did you say this? Are these your words? Yes. You are guilty. The second generation, which is this one, is evil. But the first generation was what? Righteous. Now, this second generation, which is evil, isn't credited for the good of the first one, right? The condition is restated. If he has done any of these abominations, the verdict is repeated for emphasis, not for boredom. He shall surely die. The personal responsibility of sin is stated. His blood shall be upon him. Whoa. You and God. Me and God. No one else. The third generation regards the son not being accountable for his father's sins. Flops it around. 14 to 18. A son who has an evil father is stated. The exposure to the evil being real says, if, however, he begets a son who sees all the sins which his father has done. The father's a rat, corrupt. The choice of not following the evil is then given. 
and considers but does not do likewise. I beg your pardon? He lives in an evil house? Bad dad? Evil? Beats his mother up? Sees pornography? Sells drugs? But his son chooses not to follow that? Whoa. Is that free will? Is that a human responsibility? I thought we were doomed. I thought we're robots. I thought it's genetic. Yeah, right. The condition of clause regarding the specific areas of sin is stated in the positive then. To affirm his righteousness. This is very detailed, very monotonous to make a point. Who has not eaten on the mountains with sexual rights, nor lifted eyes to the idol of the house of Israel, nor defiled his neighbor's wife. Has not oppressed anyone, nor withheld a pledge, nor robbed by violence, but has given his bread to the hungry and covered the naked with clothing. And has withdrawn his hand from the poor and not received usury to increase. But has executed my judgment and walked in my statutes. He shall not die for the iniquity of his father. Because he chose not to walk like his father. He wasn't forced not to walk. He chose to call upon God. And this is always a connection. We can only do it through God. The positive, he shall surely live. This third generation is good. The second was evil. And they won't be held responsible for the evil of the previous generation. Look at 18. The confirmation of the unrighteous father. The sins of the father first. As for his father, because he cruelly oppressed, robbed his brother by violence, the guilt of his father, and did what is not good among his people. The verdict is stated. Behold, he shall die for his iniquity. God quotes their very words. This is what you do in court. Did you say this, Mrs. Smith? This, are these your words? Is this your car? He uses their words. Yet you say, why should the son not bear the guilt of the fathers? They, they want to hang this dude. He's a righteous young man, and they want to hang him for his dad's sins. God gives them the answer, because the son has done what is lawful and right, and has kept all my statutes and observed them. Choice, responsibility. God declares the verdict. Listen to it. He shall surely live abundantly while on earth, eternally after death. Verse 20, God proclaims the principle of sin and human responsibility. The soul who sins shall die. The son shall not bear the guilt of the father, nor the father bear the guilt of the son. Again, Deuteronomy 24, 16 confirms that in many parts of the law. The righteousness of the righteous shall be upon himself, and the wickedness of the wicked shall be upon himself. You remember Hezekiah, he was a good king. And he fathered the worst king, Manasseh. Evil. But father was good. And then Josiah was the grandson of Manasseh, and he was good. So history breaks down that bad theology. Yes, we can find where a father is evil, a son is evil, and the grandson is evil, and it gets worse and worse and worse. And that will happen if there's no choice to repent and turn from your sin to God. But it's not that it's genetic. It's not that you are a robot. It's not that you are, are stuck and you can do nothing about it. You have to repent from your sin. You have to see yourself as a sinner. You have to call upon God. And when you stand before God, you'll never be able to say, I never knew. The prophet Ezekiel is talking in the context of one who knows God in a personal relationship or not. 
this is the contrast. He's talking about one who looks to Jesus for the strength, being filled with the Spirit of God continually, as Ephesians 5.18 says. If you don't walk in the Spirit, if I don't walk in the Spirit, I will walk in the flesh. It's not if. He's talking about a person who keeps his account short with Jesus Christ in 1 John 2.1. My little children, I write these things to you that you do not practice sin, but when you stumble and fall, you have an advocate for the defense, Jesus Christ, a righteous lawyer. But he, he's weird. He only takes guilty pleas. No plea bargaining. No innocent cases because there are none. You plead guilty, he can get you off. You agree with God, Amos 3.3. Then you can walk with him. Otherwise, you charge him. The Bible does not teach that sin and the sins of others do not affect the person as often we are accused of. But the context is talking about that God will not judge you for another person's sins. And that you cannot use them as an excuse for your sin. A father who drinks will affect the child. If his father drinks and carouses, then most likely he'll do it. But he has a choice whether he does it or not. And God will judge him for his own carousing and drinking, not for his father's. You understand? A son who has a father as the best example of a godly man affects him, influences him for good. But he chooses There are some godly parents who have some children of the devil. And there are some ungodly parents who have the godliest children. And then there are godly parents who have godly children. And there are evil parents who have evil children. So don't don't create a formula of absolute. It comes down to choice, to human responsibility. Every person who ever has turned to God has been enabled to deal with life victoriously regarding the consequences brought on by others or by themselves. Second Peter chapter 1, verse 3 through 4, everything has been given to you and me pertaining to life and godliness. Life, everything that will come, the way I'm to handle and respond, godliness, by divine promises and the divine nature. Don't fall into the humanistic concept of this psychological babble that you're blaming everybody Jesus has cleaned you up. Get up on your feet and start walking. Start growing. The tragic stories of our modern day society are many, as you know. Some are raised in homes of violence and they are affected by the lack of peace and love in the home. But as they grow, they will have a choice to do the same or to change. And God will meet them there. I can't tell you when, where, or how, but I know one thing. If God allows a child to be born, then he makes himself responsible and he will give him an opportunity or her before they die. Otherwise, God would not be good. He couldn't be the creator. He has to be horribly evil. The hope and availability for change is only in Christ, nothing else. Nothing else. If a person can turn away from his father's sin, he can also turn from his own sin. That means he's accountable, responsible, and guilty if he doesn't. It's just real clear in the scriptures. Real clear. The three cases illustrate, illustrated for the principle of accountability to God for sin is fundamental. Notice, lastly, you have the accountability of sin made void by God through the repentance from sin. Here's the hope. Here's the way out. No other way. Notice the conditional clause of repentance is to call to a radical change possible only through God. But if a wicked man turns from all his sins which he has committed, 
The word turn is the 12th most common verb in the Old Testament, occurring 1,050 times. In Ezekiel, it's found 62 times. In Jeremiah, 111 times. Malachi finishes the Old Testament with repentance. 400 years of silence, John the Baptist picks up the ministry, repentance. He gets thrown in jail, Jesus picks up his ministry, repentance. Paul gets called into the mission field, repentance. This is what's lacking over the pulpit today. People are not preaching repentance. They're saying, you want your life changed? You want your life to get better? Are you tired of your life? That's not gospel. You must understand that you're under God's wrath because you're a sinner. And that if you don't turn as a sinner, God's wrath will fall upon you and you'll perish. That's what you need to understand. This is what God called Ezekiel to in chapter 3, verse 19. To turn him. They're hard. Foreheads are hard. I'm going to make you harder. Notice he says, keep all my statutes and does what is right in them. He shall live. He shall surely live. He shall not die. So the person goes from sin to righteousness. He's forgiven. Now the promise to the repentance, 22. None of the transgressions which he has committed shall be remembered against him. Aren't you glad that God has forgiven every one of your sins? You can sleep at night. All of them gone. Because of the righteousness which he has done, he shall live. Wow. The heart of God is revealed in 23. Do I have any pleasure at all that the wicked should die, says the Lord God? God wants you to live. He's gracious. And not that he should turn from his ways and live. He's a pleading father. The case of the righteous then is given in 24. The conditional clause of one who turns away from God. Yes, you can go one way or the other. It's not just one way. It's not from sin to righteousness. You can go from righteousness backwards. But when the righteous man turns away from his righteousness and commits iniquity, he doesn't deal with the various steps. He goes to the two extremes. The persistency is affirmed and does according to all the abominations that the wicked man does. Shall he live? That's an obvious answer. The verdict is stated. All the righteousness which he has done shall not be remembered. As your sins, none will be remembered. None of your righteousness will be remembered. It's not a wane of good and bad. It's whether you're in Christ walking and abiding in Christ. The reason is given because of the unfaithfulness of which he is guilty and the sins which he has committed. The reiteration of the verdict is stated for emphasis. Because of them, he shall die. He's being over-purposeful here. The words of the prophet are quoted again. Yet you say, the way of the Lord is not fair. The Lord Yahweh charges the people with unrighteousness. He commanded them to listen. Hear now, O house of Israel. He corrects their bad theology again. Is it not my way which is fair and your way which is not fair? And he'll say it again because they're guilty before God. In 26, when a righteous man turns away from his righteousness, commits iniquity, and dies in it, listen, it's because of the iniquity which he has done that he dies. God sees that he dies for the sin. Whether it's an auto accident, whether it's cancer, whether whatever, it doesn't matter. God alone, you and I don't know, but God knows. It's none of our business. Now, be careful that you say that everybody that dies through something that they were, now. Be careful. Again, 27. When a wicked man turns away from his wickedness, which he has committed, and does what is lawful and right, he preserves himself alive because he considers and turns away from all his transgression which he commits. He shall surely live. He shall not die. It's basic. It's fundamental, guys. Look at 29. Yahweh rebukes the people for their unfair estimation of his 
fairness. It's justice. Yet the house of Israel says, the way of the Lord is not fair. This is said again. O house of Israel, is it not my ways which are fair and your ways which are unfair? Therefore thus I will do to you, O Israel, because you did this to you, Amos says. Listen to the words of Amos. Prepare to meet your God, O Israel, Amos 4.12. Because God says, I did this, you didn't repent. I did this, you didn't repent. He says, prepare to meet your God. It isn't to give him a hug. It's for judgment. And God warns, 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 and is patient, patient, patient. And when he draws that line, judgment comes. Here or there, it doesn't matter. That's his choice. But he makes no mistakes, you understand? No mistakes. Verse 32 there, he is the perfect judge. Therefore I will judge you, O house of Israel, everyone according to his way, says the Lord God. Repent and turn from all your transgressions. This is a plea of a brokenhearted father. So the iniquity will not be your ruin. He pleads for their soul, 31. Cast away from you all the transgressions which you have committed and get yourselves a new heart and a new spirit. That can only happen with a relationship with God. No other way. We're sinners by nature. Dead in trespasses and sins. Children in wrath. For why should you die, O house of Israel? Now, it's very personal, the house of Israel. But the principle is straight across the sinners, right? Real simple. For I have no pleasure in the death of one who dies, saith the Lord God. That includes all humanity. Therefore, turn and live. Wow. The nation had clear instructions and were warned. Leviticus, all of this backdrop, judgment is always with the backdrop of Leviticus 26. Let me just give you 40 to 42. But if they confess their iniquity and the iniquity of their fathers and their unfaithfulness in which they have been unfaithful to me, and that they also have walked contrary to me, and I also have walked contrary to them and have brought them into the land of their enemies, if their uncircumcised hearts are humbled and they accept their guilt, Then I will remember my covenant with Jacob and the covenant with Isaac and the covenant with Abraham. And I will remember, and I will remember the land. So the condition is there. If you walk away from me, I'm going to judge you. But if you turn from it, then I'll restore you. It's a choice. Deuteronomy 30, 15 through 20 speaks, I give you you a choice before you, life and death. Joshua 24, 15 says, as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. Choose you this day whom you're going to serve. It's a choice, people. It's appointed unto man to die, and after that, the judgment, Hebrews 9.27. For we know who it is that says, vengeance belongs to me, I will repay. Again, the Lord will, be, uh, will judge his people. It's an awesome thing to fall into the hands of the living God, Hebrews 10, 30, and 31. You want to make sure you're in Christ if you're going to be judged. No other way. Listen to David. Blessed is he whose transgressions are forgiven, whose sins are covered. Blessed is the man to whom the Lord does not impute, account, add up, keep a tally of sin, and in whose spirit there is no deceit. Psalm 32, 1, 2. As far as east and the west, Psalm 103, 12. In the deepest ocean, Micah says. Now make sure you make that for everybody else, not just you. Never hold anybody accountable for sins before Christ. You understand? If you do, then you've got bad theology. And so here's the law and principle of personal responsibility regarding sin. The accountability of every person to God for their sin is universal. Three cases to illustrate the principle of accountability to God for sin is fundamental. He doesn't hold you responsible for other sin. Yes, you may be affected, but you've got a choice. And the accountability of sin made void by God due to repentance from sin is conditional. Salvation is conditional. You have to repent. You have to keep repenting. 
You have to abide. You have to strive to enter in. I must be transformed. I must be progressing. Otherwise, the buck stops with me, doesn't it? And you. Pastor Xavier Reese and the truth of personal accountability. Now, you can get your own copy of today's message, The Buck Stops With You. It's available on CD for just $4. And this will also include what we heard the last time we were together. So once again, the title to ask for is The Buck Stops With You. Or simply mention today's date. You can request your copy by writing Simple Truths, 2200 East Colorado Boulevard, Pasadena, California, 91107. Or to make your request by phone, call 800-926-1485. Again, that's 800-926-1485. Or the address once again is Simple Truths, 2200 East Colorado Boulevard, Pasadena, California, 91107. And please, it's really important that you include the call letters of this station somewhere in your correspondence. This is helpful when we check on the impact of this outreach in your area. Question. What's the best covering for a sinful life? The answer? Well, that's coming up on the next edition of Simple Truths with Pastor Xavier Reese. Simple Truths with Pastor Xavier Reese, a daily half-hour broadcast, is a radio ministry of Calvary Chapel of Pasadena, California. www.calvarychapelpasadena.com 